last 24 hours, uh, Mary Emma's had about 24 different songs run through her head. I'm not exaggerating, a number of specials and getting ready for Christmas. And uh, it sort of reminds me sometimes, uh, especially when I was in a nursing home, uh, maybe I was preaching on Moses and uh, on Sunday, and then I show up and speak at the nursing home on Monday, and I'm saying no all the time, and people that are older than I are having to correct me and get me straight, so it does, it does happen. We want to look today at Psalm chapter 98, Psalm chapter 98. I, a couple of years ago, I looked back, we looked at a similar song, uh, Psalm 96, uh, and maybe you'll have the opportunity to read that particular psalm sometime in the next few days. You'll notice uh, it's similar to this chapter we'll study today, but yet the two are distinct. As you're turning there, you know, I was thinking back, and from time to time, I, I share with you my experiences growing up in my home church, Liberty Baptist Church there in Appomattox, Virginia. I do that because it's an important part of my story, but also to encourage you and, and um, just remind us how important our ministry is. But I was thinking back to people who impacted me when I was young. I sort of have my own personal hall of fame of servants of the Lord in the local church. And to be honest, nothing against the pastors that uh, served as my pastor growing up, but the people who had the greatest impact on my life actually never preached a message, and very few of them ever taught a Sunday school lesson. One of those individuals was a lady named Trudy Gerald. Now, Trudy Gerald was a gentle person. She stood six feet tall, and I remember her sweet disposition and Trudy's gentle ways. The fact of the matter was Trudy lived a very difficult life. Her husband passed away at a young age, leaving her to raise two sons. One of the sons uh, actually contracted or had the congenital heart disease uh, that the father had. And so throughout his life, the older of the two sons was very limited. And she had to spend a lot of time caring and looking after that son who died actually in his early 40s shortly after Trudy passed away. Trudy worked from her home as a uh, child care provider. She actually, my mom reminded me, kept my sister in one season of our family's life, but she made ends meet on a modest salary. She had two great sons. I was thinking about Trudy. I never saw Trudy complain. I never saw, in fact, even a frown on her face. I always saw a gentle way and a positive attitude in the midst of all of her difficulties. She served with our church social committee. I remember her serving meals to children at Vacation Bible School, of working at retreats when we would go to Eagle Irie Conference Center. I would remember church suppers and the like. She was always serving. In fact, service was one of her acts of thanks toward the Lord Jesus Christ. On this Sunday before Thanksgiving, she serves as a great model to me and to you. We have a lot for which we're to be grateful. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 98 at the psalmist's 
testimony. And he says in Psalm 98, beginning in verse 1, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord, be jubilant, shout for joy, and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the people fairly. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word today, we look forward to that day in our future when everything that is described here in Psalm chapter 98 will be undeterred, that not just humanity but all of created order will be established in such a way undeterred marred by the effects of sin and will offer rightful praise to you lord until that time may we practice praise in our personal lives and i pray it in jesus name amen you know the context really for this psalm is this it is one of the royal psalms that is found in the book of psalms among the 150 chapters by royal of course it speaks of god's kingship of god's authority in latin it's known as the cantate domino which is sing unto the lord in fact this particular psalm as i began to study it this week interestingly served as the basis for our familiar christmas carol joy to the world uh, it is very likely that this psalm is a post-exilic psalm. You say, well, that's a crazy word. What it basically means is this song likely was written after uh, Judah's exile into Babylon. You may remember in the days of Nebuchadnezzar how Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken into captivity. God prophesied it. It came about even as God said it would. For 70 years they were in the land, and then they were freed from bondage in Babylon. And so very likely this psalm is a song of gratitude, a song of praise to God for all he had done in delivering his people. You know, there were two main uh, physical salvation acts in the Old Testament for the, uh, God's people. There was the Exodus, which was earlier than this time when the people were brought out of Egypt. And then there was uh, the uh, return from exile in Babylon about which this speaks. In the first, the exodus, there was a miracle of nature. But in the second, in the exile, it was a miracle of man's heart, how God changed the heart of what otherwise was an evil ruler, Cyrus, king of Persia. Once they overcame Babylon, he demonstrated mercy toward the people of Judah, allowing them to come into the land. And so the psalmist is writing in lieu of that truth. And so it's a psalm of celebration. It's a psalm of remembrance. But as we see in the last verse of this chapter, it is also a psalm of anticipation. Uh, 
but most importantly, it glorifies God. As we look at this chapter today, I think, and I know we would do well to ponder the words of this, to ponder the attributes of God that the psalmist relates to us as his readers today. And it also is good for us to know that we can give thanks for all that has happened in the past. We can give thanks for what is happening right now. And we can even give thanks for the promise of his word and the things that will come to pass. The key words in this psalm are actually the first four words that are found there in verse 1. Sing a new song. Have you ever been around someone, all they can do is tell you stories from 40 years in the past. I had a professor one time, and, and he was that way. He was sharing what happened 40 years ago, and, and this guy, he was sort of a wise guy in the class. He leaned over to me, he whispered, I said, I wonder if anything fresh has happened in his life. And so as we look at it here, the psalmist is really saying, sing a new song to the Lord. God is always working in our lives. We're always to take inventory. We're not to, don't get me wrong, the old songs are great. And we need to remember the old, old story. But what he's saying here, more than singing, he's saying, God is doing something new now. God is working in and through my life. And so we're to sing a new song. You know, I like what uh, the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, said in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Of God, he says, his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the picture I have is that of Jeremiah waking up, looking out, and seeing all that God has done, looking at what's going on in and around his life, and he's saying, God, you're a God of the present. What you're doing now, your mercies, they're new. Your faithfulness is there every morning. And it's interesting that the man that wrote these words in Lamentations was Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. Everything didn't go well for Jeremiah. In fact, the name of the book, the form of that is lament. But in the midst of the lament, he is saying this, your faithfulness every morning is great. So today, as we consider the attitude of Jeremiah, wherever we find ourselves today, we can be thankful. We can sing a new song to the Lord. Why is that? I want to look today at really three reasons, as we see in our text today, that we can sing a new song to the Lord. First, God's position as creator merits our praise. It's very interesting when the psalmist is writing here and he's writing the very words of God under the inspiration of God, the full word of God. We see that he speaks of creation's response to who God is, but he does not stop with humanity. In fact, in verse 4, he says, let the whole earth shout to the Lord. In verse 7, he says, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together. Here the psalmist, he's personifying created order. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've never heard the earth shout. I've heard thunder. Um, uh, someone was sharing with me today. I've walked uh, on floors that have creaked. I've, I've, I've heard noises come uh, from uh, parts of creation. But I'll be honest, I've never heard the rivers clap their hands. But what is he writing about here? I believe, in the depth of my heart, what he's writing about here is what's going to transpire when Jesus comes back. In other words, when he comes, follow what we're saying here, everything will be in right order. Today, there's some disjoint uh, areas, isn't it? Today, everything isn't working exactly right. There are kinks in society because of sin. But when Christ comes back, follow this, all of created order will perfectly follow the will of the Father. And so in that, as we look at uh, the created order, we anticipate that. And so the psalmist is writing of desire here. You know, as I was thinking about this, I could not help but think about the wonderful gift that the church has given to Karen and me next September. Sometimes I sort of shake my head. I tell Karen, we're going to Italy. And I just, just so she'll tell you, I'm not exaggerating. Two or three times a week, I'll just turn and say that. And there's anticipation about what's going to happen. But the Lord willing, and the COVID don't rise, then next September 10th, all this that I'm anticipating will be reality when, when I set my feet on the ground, and Karen sets her feet on the ground, in Rome. Everything that I've looked toward will be reality. That's, that's the attitude of this psalm here. He, he is looking forward. The psalmist can give thanks. He can give praise to God in the midst, maybe even of difficulties, I, I, even though looking back at the good things God has done to the past, in the past for him. But he looks for that time of the reality of Christ coming, and they will, all of creation will be ordered rightly this created order set awry by sin will be restored not just humanity but all of it and it will be right in step and in tune with the will of the father i wonder are you ready for that day have you trusted in the lord jesus christ are you going to be a part of that great chorus that day that is singing praise to the lord our praise our singing a new song is our right response as created beings to our creator. But I want you to see a, a second reason we're to sing a new song. His wonderful attributes, they merit our praise. Who he is merits our response, and that response is praise. When I was young, I, I guess the big joke, um, if you're called well, you eat fast. I mean really fast. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, the only person I've met in my life that eats a meal faster than I might be my older brother, John, but uh, Dr. Godfrey. Dr. Godfrey, one time I sat down in the hospital, and he flew through the meal. And I said, man, I'm not the champion anymore. I don't do it. But, you know, as we look at that, when I was young, we used to pray a prayer, God is great. God is good. Can you finish that prayer? Amen. 
All right, about half of y'all were like I was. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. <laughs> Some of y'all are more spiritual. And you finish out that prayer. But I'll be honest. When I prayed, I prayed and I sort of truncated that prayer. I stopped at that point. I didn't get to the point that said, and I even have to read it because I didn't remember it, by his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Now, if you prayed the whole prayer, you're more spiritual than I was as a child. But as short as my version of the prayer was, it was sound theologically. God is great and God is good. God is great speaks to his power. God is good speaks to his moral goodness. Isn't it good to know that we serve a God who is both great and both good, who is both able and caring? The psalmist speaks of three divine qualities here in Psalm 98, his might, his righteousness, and his faithfulness. First, we see his might in verse 1. It says he has performed wonders his right hand and holy arm have won him victory now that's a, a right response coming out of exile seeing what God did of freeing the people in accordance with his word freeing them uh, from bondage in, in Babylon there and, and he speaks of the right hand the right hand is a symbol of strength Proverbs tells us the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Paul tells us in the New Testament, God's strength is made manifest through our weakness. Have you felt weak? I have. Have you gone through seasons where you felt weak? We all have. Yet when we are weak, he is strong. And so we praise him for his greatness. But we not only do that, we praise him for his righteousness. Look at verse 2. The Lord has made his victory known, but then in the second part of verse 2, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. In other words, God has revealed his righteousness to the nations. We may not see that. We may not understand that, but he has. Look at verse 9. Before the Lord, uh, for he is coming to judge the earth. And notice what it says, the last few words of this chapter. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Just a couple of points here. God's righteousness cannot be hidden. It cannot be, and it's not intended to be, but secondly, his righteousness will prevail. Let's be honest, sometimes we wonder about the righteousness or specifically the justice of God. There are times now, and we have to remind ourselves the story's not over. There are times when we'll say, God, it's not fair that that person can live that way and be appearing to do well, and this well-intending person is having it tough. L Lord, it's not fair that it seems the wicked are prevailing and, and the righteous are suffering. We deal with that. But when we deal with that, we go to verse 9, and it tells us in the end, God deals fairly with all people. I often tell people, I don't understand why people go through difficulty in this life, and I'm very simple on a lot of this stuff. I just say eternity is the great, great equalizer. 
Eternity's the great equalizer. Uh, even the sufferings for this time period, uh, Paul writes in Romans, cannot be compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. And so God is righteous and just now, and that righteous and justice will be seen clearly by us in the end. But the third attribute is his faithfulness. Don't you love that word faithfulness? Somebody being faithful. If you're a Christian today, God is faithful. God was faithful to Israel. He was faithful to Israel in two ways. He was faithful to them specifically as a people. He, no matter what they did, he kept his covenant, and he will keep his covenant. And God still has a, a magnificent plan for the nation of Israel. But he also was faithful to his word. What he said, he will accomplish. Let me encourage you, delve into the Word of God. Delve into the promises of God. Let, let me challenge you as you go into 2022, make it a commitment. Make it a commitment to get into the Word of God. If you've never read through the Word of God, just set it as a challenge. Maybe start in the New Testament, go back to the Old Testament. Just say, God, speak to me as I read your Word. Do you realize that every word here either has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, or will be fulfilled. God is faithful to his word. Notice what he says in verse 3. Uh, he, the Lord, has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All of the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. I'm sure there were times for the nation of Judah in the midst of that 70 years when they were oppressed, when they didn't have the freedom to go back to their land, that they were just wondering and struggling but God was faithful he brought the nation through well as we look a third response while we're to sing a new song is this God's goodness and his greatness demand that we speak loudly of him he's not to be a secret sometimes we treat the Lord like he is some illness uh, we, we don't want to share him there's something in us that fears sharing him but we're to declare his glory we're to sing a new song notice uh, the verbs that are used to respond to who he is here singing in verse 1 shouting in verse 4 resounding in verse 7 clapping in verse 8 you know, we boast of so many things and so many activities and so many people, but do we speak verbally and expressly about him? I shared at the beginning of this message that the first four words, sing a new song, set the tone for this entire chapter. But I did not fully tell the complete story because while that sets the tone for the whole chapter, the focus and theme of the whole chapter is this. He is to be famous throughout all creation. Romans 10, though, says, How will people know him if we do not speak of him, uh, if we don't share who he is? This psalm tells us that, that his greatness is not to be a secret. 
In fact, it is to expand to all of creation. The picture here in 98 is not that just some person or some region or some group of people have the privilege of knowing who he is and speaking to who he is, but all of creation. So what does that mean to us this Thanksgiving? We're to be instruments to bring him praise and to make him known. I closed this morning with a twofold challenge. It's very simple. Ways that we can make him known, that we can participate in this vast understanding of his glory as we see the heart's desire of this entire chapter. First, we can make him known through our giving. In just a couple of weeks, we will begin our season for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You may not know what this offering is. If you're not Southern Baptist, it's very unlikely that, that you would. But 100% of the money that's collected to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and I appreciate our Baptist women, our WMU, helping to sponsor that. 100% of that, 100% goes to keep our missionaries on the field so that they don't have to take a furlough for the purpose of working more to raise money. And there's nothing wrong with missionaries raising money and things like that, but isn't it great that I guess at least 3,000 or more missionaries around the world are able to be supported in large part because of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You'll be hearing more about that. But we make him known through our giving, whether it be like Trudy Gerald giving in service and touching young children for the gospel of Christ and impacting them, or whether it be financially giving. I think of the Magi that brought tangible gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second way we make him known is verbally. Tell someone of God's goodness and tell someone of his greatness. I want to share something that was shared with me by a friend. Karen and I were at the house uh, just, I guess, Thursday or Friday. A friend came by. She had a burden um, that I'm just communicating you, to you today to make the Lord known. And he shared, she shared with me, rather, in 1893, a woman named Helen Cadbury. That name sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it's the same Cadbury's that you see at Easter with the chocolate. Her father was uh, CEO of that company. But at the age of 12 in 1893, Helen Cadbury gave her life to Christ. Shortly afterwards, she organized a group of friends into a club they called the Pocket Testament League. She was so excited when she accepted Christ, she went to school, told her best friend, last night I had become a Christian. Her friend said, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Helen said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. She must have said it with kindness. She didn't offend the girl because the next day she took a small Bible to school, gave it to her friend and one other girl. The two read it and both accepted Christ. And the two of them set out to invite this friend and Helen to invite every child in the school to read the Bible with them, 80 students accepted Christ as a result. That Helen 
was Helen Cadbury, daughter of the president of Cadbury Chocolates. She had a vision to share the gospel. She was so excited about how powerful God's word that she organized this group of girls who sewed pockets onto their dresses to carry the small New Testaments her father provided and distribute them. Today, that same vision drives the ministry, the Pocket Testament League. The challenge for you today, when we close the service, if you're an individual, you'll have an opportunity pause at the maroon table at the back. There's a Pocket Testament that has the Gospel of John, a very basic and simple presentation of gospel. There's a prayer at the end for people to accept Christ. If you're an individual, I encourage you, stop by that table, pick up uh, a New Testament, and then call one of your friends and say, pray for me that God will lead me to the person I need to share this testament with. If you're a married couple or a father-daughter or, or a mother and son, pick up one just between the two of you and come together and pray and say, God, who would you have us to give? And one of the spouses or one of the parents or, or children or siblings um, would share while the other would pray. Now, why do we do that? The giving of a simple gospel may be exactly what someone needs in this season. So we want to give you that opportunity. They'll be there. You go get them. We're not going to stand at the back and hand them out because uh, these are sacred things. We want to be sure that you're serious about it, serious enough to go by the table and pick one up. Again, if you're married, pray with your spouse, daughter and mother, pray together, whatever, whatever that would be. If you're single, pick one up, call a close friend in Christ, say, I want you to pray for me that I would give this gospel, that God would speak to somebody. You see, we serve a great God. He's worthy of being known by everyone, but we must do our part. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, have looked to your word today, we thank you for psalms that may appear to be almost in obscurity in the Bible, like Psalm 98, but every part of your word, whether it is well enough known to be recited or not, can speak to us. And Lord, this psalm tells us two things, that we're to sing a new song to the Lord, but, Lord, also that we are to do our part in making sure that this world knows you. Lord, stir our hearts that we might give toward international missions, that we might share with our friends. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder today, are you?